All right, so here I am. It's Chris Calvert again from Career Goals, and I am so excited today because I get to talk to a a friend of mine, which is really cool and exciting. So I'm going to be having a great conversation with Jim King, and Jim is a lawyer, but he's a lawyer that used to not be a lawyer because I went to high school with him, and that's a really fun way of telling you how I know Jim. So what I'm going to tell all of you If you're in high school right now or in college and you're looking around at all those people that you're going to school with, be really, really nice to them because you just never know who is going to end up being that person that you can really um, can get you out of a jam later. So I think Jim maybe is that guy for me. I'm not really sure. I'm going to find out because as I've talked about, I think several times on this podcast, being a lawyer, there's so many ways to be a lawyer. I think I could probably have a conversation with a hundred lawyers and it would seem like a hundred different jobs. So Jim, I know does some really cool stuff because I like have a little inside view. So I'm going to let him tell us, but um, I think it's going to be super surprising for people to see the type of work that you do as a lawyer and maybe even encourage some people because I think so many people are told to go to law school or told to, you know, oh, you should go to law school. You would be a good lawyer. It's kind of like a default for a lot of people. And it's so hard and excruciating in terms of education that it shouldn't be a default. It should be like an active choice with an active plan. So with that, here we are with Jim King. Welcome, Jim. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm really excited to talk to you. I think this will be really fun. So why don't we start, Jim, if you can just tell us what it is that you do. I work for Citizenship and Immigration Services as uh, the job title is Asylum Officer, which means that I interview and decide the cases of people that are inside the U.S. that are afraid to go back to their home countries. Okay, this is crazy. Okay, so let me let me just take a step back and give a visual for people. So say that you um, are coming in from, I don't even know where, it used to be Cuba. I mean, you know, they used to come like right up to the shores of, of Miami, right? They would like literally like swim onto Miami and we're on the West Coast. But if you were in that situation, someone like that would be that, are those the type of people that we're talking about that you might interview? I, I have had coworkers that have processed Cubans, uh, mostly out in the uh, out in the sea, out in the Caribbean. I it, yeah, it's sort of similar to that. It's more like if you were say from some country in Africa or, or Asia, and your government was going to hurt you, or somebody else was going to hurt you because of something innate to who you are, then um, you might be afraid to go home to that place then you would ask for protection in the United States, and that protection is called asylum. And that protection could conceivably come from you as the asylum officer. Right. I would be responsible for interviewing the person and then deciding their case. And if I say yes, then there's a review process, but basically they would get to stay. And if I say no, then basically they would get another chance in the immigration court. In a deportation proceeding. Hold on a sec. Okay, so this is this is fascinating. This is fascinating on so many levels, so that I can understand. So you're kind of, um, you know, like judge and jury, lawyer, judge and jury, right? In a in in a way, are you when they come in and say, is there like a claim thing that they put? Like I'm claiming, obviously, political asylum or 
know. Yes. Of, I don't know. What are the choices? I don't yes, know they, they fill out a form. Uh, there's a set form for all asylum applicants. So they apply. There's a whole process that before the case gets to me. But then, yes, I uh, basically investigate the case as much as I can. I interview the person. I uh, try to verify anything that I can verify. One of the main purposes of the interview is to establish that the person is credible or not. So I have to figure out if they're telling me the truth. And um, and then I go ahead and decide the case based on what they tell me and what I find. This is crazy. Okay, I have so many. I have so many questions. So first, let's start with this. Okay, so Citizen and Immigration Services. That's the umbrella that you work under, right? Yes. So in that, then that that is also who else works in this kind of department? Like, what is comprised in there? Citizenship and Immigration Services is the benefit side of immigration. So that would mean anybody that asks for citizenship, if they're uh, a foreign citizen and they want to become a U.S. citizen or if they want to become a permanent resident or yeah, there's a lot of things that people, a lot of immigration benefits that people ask for and uh, the Citizenship and Immigration Services it adjudicates those cases here in the U.S. I think Department of State has some say overseas, but I'm not actually sure about all of that. I don't really deal with it. So. Oh, get it. Okay. So you're saying... That's a that's actually an interesting distinction too. I think a lot of us don't even know what the Department of State does. <laughs> I mean, it's well, like I have a passport. They do a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> does that make me qualified <laughs> to talk about what they do? I mean, seriously. So when you say the Department of State, tell us. Just could you just tell us, edify us a little bit? What is what is that? What do they do? Well, this is a lay lay knowledge. Um, basically, uh, for the immigration purposes, they they adjudicate visa claims. And um, so anybody that's outside the U.S. that wants to come to the U.S. Uh, would ask for a visa and uh, they would decide that whether they get the visa or not. And uh, I believe that they have some say in immigrant visas as well as non-immigrant visas. But I'm, I'm not sure about that process. I don't like I said, I don't really have any. Totally. OK, so that is. Yeah, because I know they are part of having a passport. It's like the State Department will say that you can go to wherever you can go to St. Petersburg now and you can't go, you know, next month or you can go, you know, like if there's political unrest or something, they'll tell you when you can and can't go places. Okay. Let me just clarify too, because you've said this word a couple of times, which is a really big word, adjudicate. So can you tell us what that means? Uh, yeah, I guess it's a fancy word for deciding the case. Um, it's yeah. It's lawyer talk, right? So it's like a ruling. Yeah. Right. Yes. Is it it is like, like a ruling. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I just want to make sure we are all on the same page as we're talking about this. Okay, so Citizen Immigration Services, and that could cover anything having to do with, like you said, any of the benefits side of immigration. A lot of people come and they want to end up becoming citizens. That's part of it. And I don't know when the lawyers get involved. And then you as an <laughs> asylum officer, because we'll find out, like, how did you even get here and how did that all happen? But I kind of want to just make sure that I understand what this is. So are all these asylum officers... Are there are there a bunch of them? Uh, many, many, many asylum officers. Uh, not many, many, but there's uh, there's a significant number. Our office here in San Francisco has, uh, I think, around fifty, and um, there's other offices. The Los Angeles office is larger. Uh, there's offices across the country, and they're all. Similar sizes, I think. Um, 
with different responsibilities. Uh, they have to respond to the the people that are in their areas. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, that's helpful. And then is every asylum officer a lawyer? No, you don't have to be a lawyer to be an asylum officer. Uh, many people that are asylum officers do have a legal background and it does help for the obvious reasons of applying somewhat complicated law to somewhat complicated fact situations. Um, but there are definitely non-lawyers. When I started, there were quite a few people that had worked uh, helping process refugees overseas. Uh, this is like Vietnam and, um, and other places. And uh, so they, they had, a, they had a, a background that would allow them to understand the situations and uh, they learned the law. And so you don't have to be a lawyer to do the job. Uh, in fact, I maintain my my bar status is uh, is non-active. I was going to say it's me, difficult, right? Well, it saves me a bunch of money by being yeah, in, inactive not, in the bar. <laughs> Relicensing or whatever, yeah, because you have to pay dues, right, every year or whatever. Exactly. California still charges dues. They just don't charge as much. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. So you, okay, so, but you're, you couldn't then, say, argue a case in, in court right now because you don't have your active bar status. Right. I can't do it for that reason. And because I work for the U.S. government and they don't allow me to argue cases outside of my job. <laughs> well, exactly. Which, thank goodness. Um, okay. So this is interesting. So, so for instance, someone who wanted to do something as work, and I'm going to find out all about exactly what do you do? Like, what's it like? Cause I'm just super curious about what happens. Um, <laughs> so, but for someone, when you say that they might not be a lawyer and they would have, you know, processed refugees overseas or something. So are you, saying would that be someone who like worked for an NGO or some other kind of like entity and then had experience doing that, like, or even with like the Red Cross or something, and then, you know, came through that way? Yes. Uh, NGOs is one way. Uh, I think that there, there are also, uh, there's also a group uh, under the USCIS that are called uh, refugee officers, the, the Ref Corps. Uh, they go overseas and process people that are saying, I'm afraid to stay here or wherever they happen to be. And uh, they decide the cases kind of like I do, but overseas. Right. So um, so there are people that have done that job or other sort of similar jobs in either immigration or Department of State. And then, um, and then got a job back here in the States as an asylum officer. Okay, this is crazy. So I'm like, this is a whole world that I didn't even know. I mean, I, I die. Like, I should know that this world exists because obviously we see, you know, refugees. I have a lot of international friends who are working on their citizenship or just, you know, recently had it in the last 10 years or whatnot. But I don't, I don't think of all the jobs that are related yes. to this, like all these There's careers. a lot of, it's in the news a lot too. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hello. Um, I think that's it, what's interesting about it. Even looking at current events, it's, it, there's so many current events that you, that pop up and then it, we all could be a little more curious about it if as a career seeker is to say like, wow, you know, what are all the jobs behind all those stories that I just heard, you know, that I'm just riveted by, you know, what are the, what are the behind the scenes jobs of that? So this would be one of those jobs. So tell us, if you can, do you have a typical day? Like, what is it? What is your job like? I'm, I'm like imagining that you go. I don't even know where do you go physically. Like, just tell us from the beginning. Tell us as much as you can. Fill me we, in <laughs> on what happens for you every week. We, we have. 
an office and uh, we interview applicants that are asking for asylum. We call them into the office. I would have basically two cases a day, Monday through Thursday, and then I have uh, other time, basically Friday, and uh, the time in between to write those cases. Uh, each case basically includes a brief that I would have to write about uh, why the person is either eligible or not eligible for the benefit that they're asking. So, and then do all of the administrative tasks that go along with that too. So, um, so it can be pretty hectic. I would uh, say so. It's, uh, it does have the upside of being a job for the federal government. So overtime isn't really an option. And, um, I mean, sometimes it comes up in, in tangential ways, but mostly uh, I don't work overtime. I'm expected to do my, to do my job in 80 week, eighty hours in a week uh, pay period, which is two weeks. Two weeks, yep. Okay. And um, so you have to be very efficient with your time and, uh, you know, figure out where you're going to make up for lost time because an applicant isn't cooperative for, you know, answers questions in a roundabout way and burns up a bunch of time. And <laughs> completely, you know, yeah. Well, I'm thinking because you said you also do like a little bit of investigation. When does that happen on Friday admin day? Um, usually that happens before the interview or sometimes during the interview. If I'm able to get some key facts, then I can try to verify them or, or, how do you, um, how do you verify? Largely through the internet, but other we have other sort of uh, background ways of of trying to verify things. It's all got to be con confidential to protect right. the applicants. But uh, we have some investigative tools to try to help us come to the right decisions. But that could cases. be on the fly, though, too. So that I'm just yeah. trying to see exactly in terms of how it works. So when you say you're kind of the forty hour, this is interesting too because I don't mm -hmm. think about this in terms of being a a government employee that you do, you have all, well, you do what everyone does to quote unquote, <laughs> but, but right. you really do in the government. So, so when you have your 40 hour work, so you go in at what time, for instance, I usually start on an interview day. I try to start by eight. And, um, so I do have a flexible schedule. So that's, uh, that's a plus side, but, uh, so I usually start around eight in the morning for interview days for non-interview days. I can start kind of, it's a little more flexible and sometimes I'll go in earlier if I need to make up some of the time or later, uh, depending on, you know, maybe I've worked my hours for a whole, uh, time pay period. So I can sleep in on Friday right. or something. Because I was going to say, what do you do if you're behind? Like, you have a boss who's going to say, like, no, you need to, you can't, like, how do you get talked to if you don't get this case load done in the allotted time? Like, in a sense, work? yes. Uh, you get rated for your work, just like ah. kind of all federal employees. And if you're not keeping up, then uh, then that can cause you uh, employment difficulties. <laughs> so, gotcha. Um, you okay. Know. <laughs> so, yeah, you, ha you, you are expected to keep up and. Uh, sometimes that's harder. If you get a complicated case that sucks up a bunch of time, then then that's not uh, that's not great. But but then there's other cases that are relatively easy, so you can hopefully make up time on those. And yeah, it should uh, all kind of balance out. But you're yeah. not like keeping, you know, you're you're not. I mean, you know, most lawyers have the billable hour, you know, and they have to you know keep track of their time. Point two hours, point <laughs> six minutes right. here, six minutes there. Um, but you don't have that. No, we don't have that. And that's kind of a, I mean, a very different way of lawyering from what we would be thinking about. So you have like a base salary and that's it. Like you don't have a, 
I don't know, what do you get? You don't have bonuses and stuff like that that people think of. For like, if you do a great job, how would anyone even know? Yeah, well, let's see. The the OPM has, I think, gone out of their way to try to incentivize federal employment some, and um, the bonuses aren't great. They're they're, but they are there if you perform above and beyond. Then, uh, then you are eligible for uh, for cash bonuses and for time off awards. So there is that kind of thing for good performance. And uh, if you're just a regular, average performer, then you just do your job and, <laughs> Come and there's in no and bonus. Get, yeah, right. Exactly. And that's what everyone says. Like, get, get yeah. a good job with the government, and you have your. Do they have pensions? Do they have pensions that you're this uh, kind of a job. In the '80s, the Congress changed the pension. I do have a pension. But it's pretty small. Uh, they when, when they changed the pension program, they uh, basically made it so that um, you're expect. We have not 401ks, but there's a special federal government sort of process that's kind of like a 401k. They're uh, they're funds that you can put your salary into pre-tax and things like that. So um, so yeah, you can save for retirement that way. So yeah, the the the, pen, the pension isn't why you're there probably. Um, you can save otherwise, you know. Right, because I remember even in business school, it was it's like a distinction that people make. And I also went to an East Coast college really near D.C. So I had plenty of friends who went into government, plenty of friends who, you know, went into, you know, to Washington, worked for the Fed and every, everything, just different sure. stuff. So, but the, the conversation is, do you go, you know, private sector and make money or do you go to the government and not? <laughs> so honestly like that it's a, so I want to give people a sense that that is not necessarily it's not necessarily just this trade-off that you have and, and especially I think for being a lawyer and like I said I could have this conversation with a hundred different lawyers and have a hundred different job conversations um, but there's so many ways I mean you could be a lawyer making you know what forty thousand dollars a year and you could be a lawyer making four million dollars a year you know it's just, sure it's just what the underlying work is and that is something that they do talk about government service. And I think that in most cases, government work is does have a service element to it. Uh, and I, I feel like the job that I have has uh, a high degree of service element to it because, you know, I'm doing important human rights, public policy sorts of work, you know, so I'm you know, I made choices along the way that that was the kind of work that I would, I wanted to do. So along those lines, a lot of those jobs are along, are in that $40,000, if that category where they're NGOs and they're poorly funded. And so this is a government job that's on the government scale. You know, I'm a, I'm in the higher end of, uh, of the government scale. So I feel that I make a pretty decent wage considering the, uh, for the trade-off, for the work trade-off and what you can Exactly, do. exactly. Because yeah. I think that's, you've made a couple of really interesting points, actually. So when you think about, even in terms of, it's not necessarily a trade-off, but the work that you do, you can't do as a private sector person, right? So it's like, you can't, you, I mean, you could do, like you're saying, you could do, you know, policy work or you could work for an NGO. When we say NGO, I just want to make sure everyone understands. It's a non-government organization. It's like, if you have a non-government company, like a private-ish company working in various ways to, you know, in Haiti to support the, you know, hurricane victims or earthquake people and anything. There's just lots of ways that these organizations get involved. But if you 
like you couldn't do this outside of the government, correct? Well, you couldn't decide cases. Um, there are lawyers that bring a lot of the applicants that come in have a and lawyer. present cases have lawyers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the practice of asylum law, I think, is largely not it's not probably the lucrative end of the immigration process. The, the more lucrative end would be H-1B visas and permanent residence and citizenship that you can do kind of a lot of cases and charge each one kind of a pretty decent amount and then and then not have to do a whole lot of work on some of them. Totally. <laughs> but yeah, asylum, exactly. asylum is, the asylum cases probably require a significant amount of work because uh, it's a little bit more complicated law. And um, and on top of that, uh, your applicants aren't necessarily going to be the, the most well-heeled and, you know, well-heeled people that come in, uh, with exception. You know, there's definitely people that come in. Uh, they have enough resources to get a visa to come to the U.S. mostly. So, um, you know, except for the people that come up, like the Hondurans and Guatemalans and uh, Salvadorans that we hear a lot about in the news, uh, obviously, they're not probably well healed, but uh, but the people that get visas to come to the U.S. have have at least enough resources to get a visa. Right. So, um, Which is not so easy. You know, that's yeah, not yeah, easy. exactly. So let me ask you. Okay, so that I think I think that's really helpful too, even just to like to think about it. So let's go back and talk about how did you even get here? Because when I was in school with you, I. I don't think we would ever talk about, do you want to be a lawyer? Do you want to be this? <laughs> I, like, I mean, shoot, <laughs> I was like, not. just glad if I could graduate from high school and then get a, you know, into a good college. I think that's all I was thinking about. So give us an idea of what you were like, you know, like what were you like in high school? Like what kinds of stuff did you like to study when you went to college? Did you, you know, did you, were you an A student? Did you get like amazing grades? And then you went to the best, you know, like law school kind of <laughs> give us an idea of your little story leading up maybe into even the first phase of your story so people can get a sense because what I really like to do for people on this podcast is say, can you identify yourself and this person who's, you know, talking about their, their work that they love to do that works for them? Um, and can you identify yourself? And if you're like, yes, I'm that person, I'm that person, I'm a person, that's me, you know, then giving, giving them an avenue for how maybe you could even do this, you know, if someone wanted to, to do this for a living, I think the, the kinds of things that you get exposed to are really, really interesting. So let's just get get up to speed really on how a little bit on how you got here and then we'll um, delve back into more of what types of work, you know, some of the great examples that you have and that kind of thing. Um, So what kind of kid were you? Okay. So in high school, I had figured out how to get through with exactly as little amount of work as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Is that true? And, like it was like a strategy. Yeah, like, like you know much. what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna yeah. If I do, I have to get a a C to to pass. Okay, I got a C. Do I have to get a B yeah. to pass? Like I got a B. So my 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 grade point average kind of reflected that. Um, it also it wasn't entirely the case. There were teachers that uh, that I liked. So then I would perform a lot better for them. Yeah. Uh, I mean I. Basically, but I, got... I think this is good. I appreciate this because this is probably a familiar story for many, many kids in high school. I think that is like it's such a d- disorienting time in so many ways. And, you know, there's all these things that you have to study. This is this is only this is these are the things that you get to learn. That's it. Absolutely. <laughs> We're going to evaluate you on these five subjects and you better know those five subjects and forget it. If you love, you know, whatever, you know, something else, flower arranging, you're not going to get to 
to exploit display that. Here's your exactly, thing. and there's always there's always the the perennial high school question is when am I ever going to use this? Right. And of course, you know, with things like math and science, you know, I guess that depends on what you're going to be doing. But you know, there's a lot of math in this world, so you might be doing that. Science might be a little less if you're not in a scientific sort of field, but um, and writing, you know, I, I would say that my I'd say at least half of my job is writing. So uh, when are you going to use it? It depends on your profession, but there's right. there's definitely a lot of writing in this world. <laughs> well, for you especially. But yeah. well, okay, was that something that you liked to do? So, so while I was while I was skating through high school, I kind of envisioned myself being a writer. Uh, like an actual get paid to do it writer? Yeah, more fiction fiction style. And, okay. um, and so I was trying to figure out a job that I could do that would pay for, you know, this this sort of mostly not so lucrative career that I was kind of aiming for. And I thought I had a I had an elective in high school, my I think the last term. So very senioritis, sort of like who cares? And we had uh uh, this accounting class and I learned how to like do numbers and the like spreadsheets and stuff. And, <laughs> and it was all hand, you know, this is a long time ago. So yes. it was all by hand and uh, there were no computers. And, uh, but I thought, Hmm, this is a lucrative way of, I could do that some, and then I could subsidize my writing. So then, you know, because I did mediocre work in high school, I didn't have a lot of options for college and I knew I wanted to go to college. I didn't, uh, I didn't not have aspirations. I was thinking that there are ways of getting in the, getting places in this world and I need to have a degree. I didn't know what it was going to be in, but then I was, then I thought, Hmm, this accounting thing might be fun. So I went to community college and, uh, while I was there, were you studying I, accounting? Uh, yeah, I studied accounting, but of course it was, it was community college. So there was a lot of, uh, uh, just general education classes classes. too. Okay. And, uh, and I started really enjoying the classes. I started really enjoying the, the presence of, uh, sort of diverse minds and backgrounds and because our high school was, was relatively, uh, homogenous. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'll say it for you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so well, especially in suddenly. terms of like, I think, I think, um, in terms of the way of thinking, you know, I think mm-hmm. a lot of us who ended up going, I mean, I think most of us all went to college, probably everyone had a very similar experience, like once you got to college, and I just want to bring this out, for, as you're talking about it, for people who are like, in high school right now thinking like, Oh, my gosh, like, I'm not into this, or I don't love this, or I don't like that, like, uh, you know, you go to college and it's just a whole different world. It doesn't even matter where you go to college because there's uh, people from everywhere and they're bringing all their different sure. perspectives, all their different learning, all their different lifestyles, all their different ethnicities. And it's a it's a huge, huge like learning experience from day one. So this is very Absolutely. interesting. Okay. So keep uh, keep telling me more about that. I love this. So, so yeah. So um, because everybody wanted to be there too. I think in high school, you kind of have to be there. And so you know, it's kind of a job and nobody really, especially by the time you're a senior, nobody really likes your job, (laughs) you know? So interesting. Yeah. (laughs) um, So when I got to community college, pretty much everybody actually did want to be there. They were all, they all made the choice to take this step and go try to better themselves. And um, so it wasn't a matter of, 
I have to be here anymore. It was like, how, what am I going to get out of this? And, and how can I, how can I learn? And the other thing though, when I got to community college, I just, I discovered I hated accounting. It oh, was shoot. awful. Dang. That was our plan. That was our backup plan, right? <laughs> yeah, it was bad. I didn't like it. And it was not just uh, boring as maybe you might sort of like stereotype stereotypically say it was also you know not easy <laughs> so right. I was, oh yeah especially i was suddenly in the midst college. i was suddenly in the midst of this degree that i didn't like and wasn't interested in but i had the good luck of having a business law class that was part of the accounting degree and um the teacher was uh, a really animated person and uh, he liked to have, he liked to present the class in a sort of a uh, law school sort of way. Not obviously it's community college, but uh, he wanted to engage the class and have the class engage him. And so tests were open book, and uh, you could give the an- whatever answer you found. Uh, he would grade it according to his understanding but then if you had a reason to think that your answer was correct then he might give you some points back or something so uh so basically the post-test review turned into a big uh advocacy session totally that's uh, and, sounds awesome <laughs> yeah well, it for was the person great. who loves that it sounds awesome actually <laughs> right. if you, there are probably yeah. other people who are like horrified if you it. just want right. your grade then yeah totally. <laughs> you know, just give me my grade and get let me out of here uh, that's not going to go so well, but I, but it really caught my attention. And, uh, and I suddenly, you know, you were asking what kind of kid I was in high school. I was, I was sort of skating by with school, but my interests were maybe a little bit more sort of political and um, sort of maybe a little unusual for uh, for a high school kid. And so when I ran into this, this law thing, I thought to myself that I could do that and I could, I could be an advocate for people or maybe groups of people and, and get paid for it. And that's a job, right? (laughs) Well, wait a minute. So, okay, hold on. Stop. I have so many mm -hmm. questions, so many questions, so many things. And this, I love, love this part about your story. Okay. So (laughs) let's just stop and tell people how incredible it is to get this experience in community college because I, I think what'll happen is that you get pigeonholed, right? So you're either like, okay, forget it. I'm just not even going to go to college or I'm not going to go right now. Right. Like, or like you're saying, like, I'm just kind of like not into high school. Like, why would I go to college for more of the same? So you're saying it's, it's not, I've I've done community college, plenty of classes in community college. It's not more Mm. of the same. Right. Right. For sure. And then not only that, it's like a really good low cost, low, um, what, like low risk way to explore exactly to kind of figure out, you know, do you like this? Do you like accounting? Do you even, you know, enjoy whatever it is, law or, you know, finance or anything? I don't know what they, they think they really teach everything actually at community yeah. college. I think they really teach everything there. They do. And yeah. Like you're even talking about like the accounting stuff. You could learn bookkeeping 
you know, I took community college courses when I was in high school, right? So you can be in mm-hmm. high school and take these community college courses, get a job, it's like start working at your like dentist's office doing his or her books and decide if you like that. In the meantime, you're, you know, getting a little bit of cash and then moving on. So I love this part about your story because you're a lawyer and people are, I mean, they're probably like, oh, you're a lawyer. That's so fancy, blah, 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 right? Because <laughs> I right. think that's what we all think. We all think, oh, you're a doctor or you're a lawyer or you're this because we know that there are educational requirements that come with that. But the other side of that story is you didn't start as a lawyer. You weren't a lawyer when you were 16. You weren't a lawyer when you were 18. You weren't a lawyer when you were 20. You know, you get there by this type of an experience. So I, I love this whole story. Okay. So, so what happens you're, so now you've done your business law and I'm wondering if he, if this professor is he mentoring you or is he saying, you know, Jim, you've been amazing in this class. I think you'd really enjoy law or I think you'd be really great at it. Or where are you getting this kind of push to well, think even to even think about being an advocacy? Yeah, I think it was mostly internal. Uh, it became obviously it, during the class, I definitely had mentoring from him and, and he was great. He was really you were like great. a standout student, though, in this class. Uh, I think I was, I mean, I did, I did well in it. I got an A in the class. So, um, but I'm not, I don't know how many people got A's. I don't, I mean, I think that, I think we did, (laughs) I think he was pretty generous. Right. Um, Right. Okay. But this is important too. Like just to tell people like you, no one else has to tell you that you're great for, for, you know, you're allowed to tell yourself that, you know, you're allowed to like, just pat yourself on the back and be like, you know what, I'm really good at this, or I really enjoy this. And I'm going to go pursue it. You know, so yeah. many people just are waiting to be told or waiting for permission to, you know, go off the, on these courses. And no, nope, you don't need permission. You can just tell yourself that this is awesome. Okay, so, um, so then what happened? So you well, do this so, business law, but now you don't have a degree. Where, no, have I don't have, yet? I don't have much of, uh, yeah, at that point, I had about a year of community college, under my belt. And, um, but I decided that what are your parents this, saying at this time? Let me just stop. Are your parents saying, get a job? Are they saying, are they saying anything to you? Well, that's a funny side story. My parents, my parents were always supportive and they, but they, they also, it wasn't like I, we had a lot of resources to be spending on universities and especially law schools. So right. I was kind of, I was kind of trying to plan in a way that I could do all of this and not put a huge burden on them. For sure. So um, I switched streams from accounting to a paralegal degree at, at Phoenix College. And um, so that was Wait, so the idea Phoenix was. Phoenix College is private, no? No, Phoenix College is uh, it's the community college. Community college, uh, okay. Just yeah. so I'm clear, okay. Because um, the paralegal then, okay, that's actually really interesting too. So if you were... As you talk about this, would you would you advise something like that? If someone's thinking like, oh, I might want to be a lawyer, I might want to do asylum work, or I might want to do you know litigation, any kind of work, um, mm-hmm. would you say that this was helpful? Um, so yes, uh, the idea was to build stepping stones in so that I could I would be able to work and then you know have some money and then go back to school or something like that. I mean, this was my sort of prospective idea, and that's not exactly how it worked out. But um, the idea was I could get the paralegal, paralegal degree and then transfer and get my four-year degree. And in the meantime, I could probably work at least part-time doing paralegal stuff that could earn some money that would pay for you know, expenses and things. Yeah, the other, if you're working uh, in the vein of that industry, you'd probably make some contacts, connections, whatever, like all that right, stuff. Inside, I could see that. <laughs> yeah, you get an idea of how, how things work. I think the par- paralegals... 
paralegals know a lot about how things work. Uh, they aren't necessarily the ones that frame arguments, but they're, defi they're definitely the on-the-ground, uh, doing-the-work sort of people in law offices. So, so the, and that was that was what the what the degree was sort of geared for. It was kind of like law school light on the subject yeah. matter, but also there was a lot of a lot of sort of organizational classes and uh, and writing classes because paralegals draft things too and things like that. So, I think so, that's actually a good way to put it. It is. I have a paralegal thing too, so I think it's kind of cool to say. I think it is like law school light. <laughs> right. You know. I, right. Mean, I think there's that's no, a good way to put it. It's not as it's not it definitely wasn't set up in an in as intellectual sort of manner, but it was definitely covering similar things. And you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of talk about the ins and outs of you know of legal policy and things like that. That um, you know that w it certainly was enlightening and uh, and provided me a, a nice foundation for uh, later on when I ended up going to law school. And um, the other upside to, or upshot to the community college was that I, I did well enough there that when I was trying to find a, a university to go to, <laughs> back in the days of paper books to search schools. Oh my I gosh, found... I talk about it even from business school, Jim, and I was telling my friend, I'm like, it's just so ridiculous. It's like they gave us like a phone Can book. You imagine? And they're like, good luck. <laughs> find something <Seriously>. in there. <laughs> totally. I don't it's know how we did it. World. Thank goodness it's different now, but exactly. Yeah. So back then. So um, I was looking through and I found uh, a school here, here in San Francisco that had a community college transfer scholarship that covered full tuition. And it's, it's a private school, so it's a significant amount of money. Wow. And um, and so in the process of finishing up my uh, my studies at Phoenix College, I was applying for the scholarship and hoping that I was going to get it because I didn't know I didn't actually have a lot of Plan B options. What's the basis of the scholarship? What kind of scholarship is this? It was a, a school performance scholarship. An so, academic scholarship. Yes. And, wow. Um, yeah, for specifically for community college transfer students, though. So it was, uh, it was, it was very any, specific. But it wasn't anything dealing with your law piece or anything like that. It was no. like anybody, anybody, anybody who's right. gone to. Whoa. So, okay, hold yeah. on. Are there well, still like, wait, wait. Is this like, is this something that anyone else knew about or just you? <laughs> it seems, like, it seems I, like if someone knew about that, they would put together that strategy and they'd be like, you know, let me go to community college, do really well, and then do this transfer thing. Well, I'm sure. I mean, in California, uh, the UC, the community colleges do steps directly into UC. Sure, you you get you get a preference into yeah. into UCs, but um, I don't, I don't know if there's a money element to that. So I, I don't have personal knowledge of that. But um, but yeah. So I don't know who knew about it, but I I will say that um, because I wasn't in California, but the scholarship that I was applying for didn't restrict ge geographically to any particular place. They had never given the scholarship to anyone outside of California. It had always been California community college students to go there. They had to have board level meetings to figure out if I could be accepted. And apparently they decided that I could be accepted and I could get the scholarship. So, uh, so that was, very fortuitous. Um, totally. Okay, wait. Is this a full ride? What is this? This is a full ride. What is this? Is it a yeah, it um, covered, tuition, it covered all like tui room and board? Full tuition like and, well, no, not room and board. That was okay. that was down to me. But uh, so it full was tuition. It was tuition and books. 
And wow. uh, it was a very generous scholarship, actually. Huge. And and you had to maintain a grade point average once you got into what once you got there. But in university and college, I didn't really have the challenge of maintaining grade point averages that I did in high school because I was suddenly engaged and. Uh, and everything was interesting and I wanted to work really hard and and I was more motivated to get grades too because I knew that that was going to affect my ability to get into a uh, law school that would be able to affect my life so right because now you have a goal um, like now you have exactly. like what you just said in high school like you don't Goals know why you're doing this what is this going to have like yeah how is this going to now you have a goal yeah goals are huge yeah, without goals, you're kind of adrift. I think this is interesting, <laughs> too, for a couple of points, because you're also just, I think, in high school, if you're if you're talking to someone who's in high school now, and they're like, oh, high school, blah, 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 I really don't even like school. Um, when yeah. did you realize that you were pretty smart? <laughs> I mean, serious. I, I, you know, like, at some point, because you're, if you're getting C's and whatever in high school, like, you know, yes, you know that you're smarter than that, per se, but you also right. don't have direct evidence necessarily uh, only again you're welcome to tell yourself whatever story you want but when yeah, did you of kind course. of start getting that wow I really could go to law school and I really could compete um I think by the time I was by the time I had that business law class I had figured out that I could do pretty well at school um it was like I said I had a year of community college I was interested I was enjoying the classes I was enjoying the people that I was around and um you know, I think that the I think the problem in high school was was mostly motivational, and you know there wasn't really a goal. You're right. So when you're when you're just kind of plugging along, doing what's kind of expected, and you know everybody thinks. I mean, I think most of the people at that high school were aimed towards university. So, um, but I'm just sitting there going, yeah. How am I going to get to university again? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's, oh, totally. That boat is that boat is sailed. <laughs> right. So. Um, so yeah, that, maybe I'll go to community college and I'll figure out how I'm going to get there from there. And, you know, and um, but once you once I started really directing myself towards an end game, then those things really came into play. Uh, it came, came into place. And yeah, I love yeah. it. Yeah, because I'm thinking if you were in front of a bunch of high school kids right now when you were talking to them, I think and you could tell me if I'm if I'm totally wrong, I think he would say. Whatever you're doing, you know, keep doing it. Yes, get the best grade you possibly can. Suck it up, mm-hmm. right? Just like do the best that you possibly can. If you yeah. can't, keep going. <laughs> right? Right. Like, just don't stop. Don't like get to at the end of high school and say like, oh, you know, why would I want it? Because I do think that you think like, why would I want to do more of the same? But I think your story is so encouraging because on so many levels. One is the finances. And I have said it before and I'll say it every day until I'm dead. Like I am on this big mission for these, for kids, for everyone not to have these big debt loads going off into college. And then you dig yourself a humongous hole and you're a quarter of a million dollars in debt and you're a social worker. And it's like, it doesn't make any sense. So not to have that. And community college is an amazing way to keep that at bay, especially Mm -hmm. if you're smart, approach it the way that you did, which Mm -hmm. is get a, um, a functional degree, something that has applicability in the marketplace, which is, you know, bookkeeping, accounting, paralegal work, you know, whatever. There's all sorts of stages. And then you decide from that two-year point, do I want to go on to university? And by then, you probably know, you probably have a good idea about what you want to study. And if you don't, guess what? You can take another year at community college. No one's going to tell you you can't. 
Right. <laughs> you absolutely. Could, you could change majors. You could do whatever you want. And especially if you're learning what it is to support yourself, I think yeah. that that experience is so valuable. And I think so many people get, especially, I mean, just look at the things going on right now with the colleges that people get so in their head that they have to go to this school or that school and has to look this way or it has to look that way. And I have to be able right. to put this on my resume or that on my resume. You know what needs to be on your resume? I'm an amazing person and I've overcome obstacles and th these are the obstacles I've overcome. This is how I did it. These are the decisions I made. This is the turning point. These are, you know, that's what I want to hear in, a, yeah. in an interview. I don't want to hear, I don't want to see that you went to blah, blah, blah university and you had this degree and you can give me all the answers that you would give anyone right. you know, in any, in any situation. So I love your story and I, I'm totally into this. Okay. So now you are at this amazing school. And so, you, you're a junior, right? You're a junior. Yeah, I transferred as a junior. Okay. Um, they they transferred most of my most of my credits from uh, from the community college and um, and the degree that I ended up getting from university was a I, they actually called it a, called it pre, a pre law pre legal studies a bachelor's and a bachelor in pre legal studies. So what that meant was essentially humanities and social sciences. So I was really, I was actually really happy with that, with the uh, the subject matter. I got to take a lot of English and anthropology and kind of basically things that I think a lot of the classes would have ended up being electives in, you know, sort of more, uh, certainly more businessy sort of uh, degrees. Yeah. And um, so I was, I, I, the classes were all, really tiny, uh, basically seminars. Um, and, oh, yeah, uh, right, because you're upper level. You're doing just all your upper level. Upper courses. level, and it's a small school, and uh, and I'm taking <laughs> liberal arts classes. That basically, it's a business school. So Okay, very cool. Very nice. <laughs> so, uh, so they're all – basically, the classes that I'm taking are electives for most people, and uh, for me, they were required classes. So, Got it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so and, I, and I finished up the degree – here in San Francisco, and uh, this is an expensive place to be, and I had to pay for my uh, housing and yeah, it's like food. not only and expensive; it's like one of the most expensive, one of the top what ten in the country. I don't I even think know it's the number more. one in the country. At I was going to say now, because but, like, what do you uh, have? Like New York? What? I mean, even in LA, you have options. You know, yeah. San Francisco Back is such a tiny little place. Like you have like an options <laughs> this neighborhood or this neighborhood. This neighborhood is like ten dollars cheaper than this neighborhood, and that's it. Well, for for context purposes, uh, this was all right immediately after the Loma Prieta earthquake. So oh. there was housing available. There you go. And, now's, um, the, now's the time and to it buy. Was, you should have bought a place. <laughs> it was expensive, <laughs> uh, but it wasn't as expensive as maybe it could have been. And it certainly wasn't as crazy as it's gotten out since the uh, since all of the crazy tech booms that have right. happened uh, yeah. in the late 90s and so on. But um but I still had to support myself. So I, I, first I got a job as a political canvasser, and that was horrible. How do you get that uh, job? What is that job? What does that mean? Uh, you go door to door asking people for support for your your political cause. And, uh, so you're like a hired gun from some policy group? <laughs> Right. It was Basically? actually okay. well. No, uh, this was a this was an NGO that was. Uh, what were they working against? Uh, nuclear nuclear weapons. So it was uh, hired gun would be a stretch. It was more like a bunch of uh, community college kids going out and trying to convince uh, rich Berkeleyites to give money gotcha. to their cause. <laughs> okay. All right. A fundraising effort, so, if you will. Yeah. 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 And it. it didn't go super well. The money was poor, 
and uh, and I wasn't surviving well. And uh, the person that I moved here with decided that uh, she didn't want to be with me anymore. So I needed a job that was going to make me more money. And uh, I had a bicycle and became a bike messenger. And uh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Turn so, of events. I love this. Yes, okay. Exactly. So you seriously, you're just looking at your bike one day, like I can make money with this thing. Well, yeah. I mean, I I had seen them around, and uh, yeah, though I knew that the money was a lot more lucrative than what I was making. So, uh, so I went down and found uh, found a messenger job, and after a couple of okay, weeks, I was actually wait, wait, yeah. wait. So when you finished that degree, and there, uh-huh. hey Jim, well, this you, is Jim this is King, the you know. Wait, Sorry, this on. is during the degree, just, oh, just to, to be say, clear. When you walk yeah. across the stage, are you like, okay, then now I'm like walking straight across the stage and <laughs> going into my political canvasser job? Okay, this right. is during school. Yeah, this is still during this is still during uh, my undergraduate. And okay. so uh, so basically I was working to support, you know, the my expenses. And my parents were helping out some too. So then when I finished the degree, I was basically aimed towards going to law school at some sort of soonish time. Like you hadn't taken the LSAT or anything? Like you hadn't committed to like no. really seeing? Because that's how you would know really where you could even apply, right? Right. And that's the, that was the target zone, but that, wasn't, that hadn't been accomplished yet. And I knew the steps that I needed to take, but I, at that point, kind of needed a break, I think. And uh, so I ended up being a messenger for another probably year and a half, and during that time, I did the LSAT, and I um, <laughs> I don't have any positive advice about how I got my really good score. You rocked the LSAT? I did pretty well, and then um, my my now wait, wife... you didn't do any yeah? prep? You didn't do any... You didn't do well, any, I did, like... Yeah, I did. I had a book. I had, you know, one of those phone books. Yeah, but you're one of those. Was... Okay, so you basically, like, <laughs> bought a book at Barnes & Noble, like, took it home, read it a little bit of it one weekend, one night. I was, not, I was not doing practicing. Weekend. I was doing practice exams. But you're not, at, like, at Princeton Review, like, for seven no. weeks, you know, slaving no, 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 away, taking... Okay, this is actually... I didn't have very... the money for that. <laughs> right. But this is interesting, though, too, because I think that there are some people who are really adept at taking tests. Um, were you one of those? Were you someone who was just, were you good at yes. taking this, these kinds of tests? Yes, I was kind of always good at taking tests and um, had high school not required so much uh, so much of the day-to-day, you know, homework type of stuff. Yeah, I everything would have except done. I would have, the test. Yeah, I would have had it. I would have had a much better grade. Yeah, <laughs> and that's actually, it's really good to know. That's why I'm asking you because you can't, like, Unless you're someone who's really good at taking tests and then you have all this background prep because you do all this social science work in college and right. that is tremendous help for taking a test like the LSAT where you're asked to like dissect tons of, you know, material and, you know, put things in boxes and logically figure out where everyone's supposed to go you know, on right. the bus or whatever the, the question right. is. Right. You know? Exactly. Uh, well, yeah, it's all, it's all logic quiz. The same kind it's, of stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So that, that's really interesting. And it's just to give people kind of a little heads up, I, I think, and if you can rock the LSAT, it can make up for a little bit of your grades. You still have to have great grades any, any way to go to law school these days, but, um, yes. and, but not so much vice versa. I think you kind of like you have to you have to do well enough on this LSAT that they can say, I don't know why. I really don't know why you can have like a 4.0 and then you can have like a very mediocre law LSAT score. And they're like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's just bizarre. Everyone I know yeah. who's really got amazing schools just killed it on the LSAT. They just did amazing. Yes. Well, my, so 
So in the application process, um, I was essentially, I had, again, I didn't have a lot of resources, so I wasn't applying to a ton of schools. I, um, I had this school that I was intending to go to that I was probably, I think it would be fair to say that I was expecting to go to was UC Hastings here in San Francisco. And then there were, I applied to two reach schools, University of Washington and Berkeley. And um, my, so my, <laughs> this is an oft told story in my circle, but my, uh, my grade point average and LSAT scores were basically the mean score for the prior year's accepted class and at Hastings. And, uh, and so I was on, I was a little bit on the outside of Cal and Washington, but I had, I had, I think, reasonable chances to get into either one of them. Yeah, they've got to have people on both sides of that mean. Right. right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Why, why can't you be there? <laughs> there is a, yeah. So, um, however, uh, none of them accepted me. <laughs> oh, so, oh, um, oh, oh, I see. So even your school that you're like, I think I'm going, I'm just going to go here because yeah. I won't get into to Washington. I won't get into Berkeley probably. So I'll go to Hastings. And they're like, yep, no, you're not coming here either. Exactly. So I have, I have a theory and it's not really backed up by any kind of, uh, I don't know, facts or anything, but, um, <laughs> basically, uh, my, my, uh, writing sample, they, you, you give a writing sample with your application so that they have some idea who you are and, uh, you know, they aren't going to talk to you. So <laughs> right, <exactly. laughs> they, have to, they have to know who you are besides the grades and this LSAT scores. So, um, my uh, sort of longstanding joke is that uh, the person at Hastings uh, read, was re in the midst of reading the, the uh, statement and then it was lunchtime. And so that person went downstairs and wasn't really paying attention when they stepped off the curb on McAllister Street and uh, boom, right past them goes a bicycle. <laughs> And they're like, I'm not letting that guy in here. <laughs> exactly. That's the guy. Exactly. That was probably him. <laughs> so. Yeah, because all of your application is, you know, I'm a I've been a bike messenger. I've been this and this. Exactly. Right. Like it was, it was filling the blanks for people who have just picked up or like not paying attention to this. That's hilarious. It was it was about it was largely about sort of conflict resolution in the sort of the world as a bike messenger is all about there's oh, all kinds cool. of conflict all over the place. That's very cool. And, um, and, well, let me well, tell it didn't, you, get, it didn't gonna, get me in anywhere. So. Let me tell you why your story is correct. Why okay. your theory is correct. So when I was looking at colleges, I went back east to look at a college that will remain nameless. It's an amazing college, right? So I show up there. I'm whatever, 16, 17 years old. And the woman that I'm staying, she's a girl at that time. The girl I'm staying with is like. I wanted to have the girl from Scottsdale because I had the worst spring break <laughs> in Scottsdale. And I wanted to have you so I could tell you all about my, my crappy spring break. I mean, she was, I mean, it was That's hilarious. Funny. I was like, I, you know, I was like, you could have chosen anyone. She's like, I didn't want anyone else. I wanted the girl from Scottsdale because I wanted to tell you, you know, it turns out like she'd gone there for spring break and it was one of those times when it just rained like the entire week and, you know, oh. like in March or whatever, which it could rain or it could not rain, but it was so funny and so you're right i think you're right i think yeah. you're correct I, i'm sticking <laughs> i'm sticking with it <laughs> yeah, totally go with that take that for sure so okay so now you're not in anywhere i love the story exactly. more. like i so, think this is great like people need to know by the way i'm gonna say you, you didn't go to law school then but guess what you're a lawyer now and you're you know you're doing lawyer work as a lawyer so how does that happen well so um in the meantime i met and um 
was living with, uh, well, it's a Gen X little love story, actually. Uh, my, I was a bike messenger, and uh, she was a receptionist at one of our clients. And uh, we started dating, and uh, we ended up, uh, ended up being together. So we... As... That's, that's one way to meet people, I guess, right? <laughs> This is like, this is pre whatever, like swipe left and stuff too, we should say, right? So well, like... you know, it's, uh, it's the world where you come into contact with people in a lot of different, I mean, as a, you get as... to know them. It's like, I mean, when you have your UPS person, it's the same thing. Like you get Absolutely. to know these people. UPS guy day. walks into every office totally. in the neighborhood. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> and, um. So we're not going to Hastings. We're not going to Washington. We're not going to Berkeley. Then what happens? Exactly. So because of, uh the relationship that I was in, we had plans that we wanted to sort of get started. So rather than waiting a year and sort of reapplying, I decided that, uh, that there's a school that I could go to, I could start mid year and get ahead, um, rather than just being behind. So, um, so I asked for, I asked to go there and, uh, they accepted me, you know, again, not trying to boast because it's not really something to boast about, but uh, my scores were, were decent scores and my grade point average was a decent grade point average. And it was pretty far ahead of the scores and grade point average that the school was admitting. So they were like, here, come to our school and have money. But um, this time Fantastic. around. So they, so wait, so they gave you like a scholarship also? Yes, this but that amazing. scholarship. So scholar. So be careful with scholarships, though, in places like law school, because scholarships in undergrad. You know, your grades aren't. You know, there are classes that are curves, but I think that the curves are probably less. Are probably more forgiving, and uh, and you're also in. If you're in a class with a curve, you probably are in a large class, and you know, there's a lot of. There's going to be a lot of A's. You know, you may have to fight to get it, but like. Uh, uh, you're you're not going to die you'll probably you can get a b you know that b isn't going to tank your whole grade point average with law school uh the classes weren't that huge and in order to get an a basically you had to be in my uh, in my circumstances you had to be in the top probably three or four maybe five people in the class out of how in many? every class yeah like out of how many like 100 well, like 30 like yeah like probably 40 or maybe 50. Okay. Um, so, and then beyond that, you were getting an A minus, which was okay. That was probably not going to kill your grade point average for scholarship purposes. But if you got a B, that was going to pull you down. And okay. the scholar, the, the grade point average that you needed to maintain was something like three, it might've been three, four, three, five, which means that you had to be in that top four or five in every other class. Which is hard. Really hard. <laughs> well, and by the way, because um, you're being graded on a curve with other people who are smart and competitive also smart, and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so that didn't, you know, that, that scholarship didn't dry up completely, but it basically ended up just paying for my books. And then I ended up having to take a bunch of loans, which are <laughs> obviously your, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. So, this is my and, cautionary tale right here. And yeah. yes, we're still paying those off. Right. See, that's <laughs> they're, they're, really, that's so important too, because we're talking about all these different ways, like you can go to community college and you can transfer and you got a scholarship. Amazing. You know, then you end up going to law school, on a, get a scholarship. Amazing. And then to finish, you still have to, you know, take loans. So exactly. It kind I, of always gets you. Involved. I owed zero money coming out of college. 
and uh, I ended up owing something like eighty something thousand out of law school. Right. So um, and that's worth the scholarship. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, yeah, and again, okay, from the, the beginning, you had some. The scholarship, support. the scholarship kind of dried up a bit. So. Okay, so you graduate from law school. You're walking yeah. across the stage. Jim King, hello, yay, and you're going to go off to do what? Like, what's your job? Do you have a job? So, so during during law school, so here's my thing about law school, and I think that uh, we've kind of alluded to it before. You know, this the whole thing about goals. Like, if you're going to go, if you're going to do a a thing like law school, you need to have an idea what you want to do with it when you're going in. Uh, you don't just go because it's like dad told me to, yeah. or, or, you know, I don't really have any or other I don't, options. Like, yeah, I don't, I, I mean, I'm decent, like you're <laughs> I saying, can always I go to law school. social science degree and, you know, and so I, I don't, I can't really do anything. Like no one's going to pay me to do a job yet. So I'm going to go to law school and then what, right. I mean, and there's right. so many ways to use law, but I think, how can you even know that when you go into law school, you don't even know what, what's available. Well, I think that I think that it's possible to educate yourself about, you know, there's a there there are a million ways that people use law degrees, you know, actually, you know, back to the writing thing. I mm-hmm. uh, when I was first making that decision, I was kind of like, yeah, there's lawyers that are or there's writers that are lawyers. That's not that's not off the target. And um, I haven't done any 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 actual writing except for my own little like, you know, fun. silly. Yeah. <laughs> But um, but uh, I have I've been published in a messenger zine, so there you go. There you go. <laughs> You're published author, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, but, but did you know what you were? Did you have a plan when you went well, into law I school? Had, I had I had reasons that I wanted to go, and the reasons were essentially I, I mentioned it before: public policy and human rights. Sort of those were the sort of that was the target zone. I want to do something relating to public policy and human rights. And um, so that's pretty broad. For uh, sure. It allows, allows some flexibility. You know, a basic, I mean, where I ended up is on that tar- is on the target, but uh, it's not anything that I would have predicted. So, um, like, I didn't think about immigration law. I didn't think about uh, asylum. I didn't really, you know, it was not really anything that I had any knowledge about. I, it wasn't, but, it, but, you know, in reflecting, it was definitely in the zone that I was aiming towards, and uh, so. But had you, you, know, you had you have... identified though, like when I finish, when I finish my law degree, I'm going to apply to these agencies, and I'm looking for this position. You hadn't gotten no. that far, right? No, okay. it was it was more nebulous than that, and um, you know, really, if you if you wanted to st- see what I was thinking when I was going into law school, I was probably thinking I was going to be a public defender or something like that. Gotcha, and. Um, and uh, those jobs are actually really hard to get, incidentally. Yes. No, because it's competitive. It's competitive. It's competitive. People come and... in and do a few years and get some amazing experience and then go on and go into private practice or go into politics. or It's very competitive. The work is kind of a mill, but it's, uh, but it's also uh, not it's, – it's, you know, the pay, pay, isn't, pay is reasonable. Right. So, um, so it's anyway. prestigious, so... yeah. Yeah, and so I ended up taking classes in labor law. I took classes in criminal – uh, well, I took a sem- I took a seminar that I worked with for the Federal Public Defender's Office. I um, I did I worked for I clerked for a uh, the teachers union. I did some immigration stuff, and so the immigration stuff 
was where the work kept coming. <laughs> so I had the target zone, but the target kind of helped me find, you know, the target found, found me as much as I found the target. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, after school, well, so after school, now we're talking about the dot-com boom here in San Francisco. And so the, there were lots of law jobs, but now we're back to the, did you go to a prestigious law school back at, from the East right. Coast or Stanford yeah. or Berkeley? And so I'm competing with people with degrees from those places, basically. And this mm -hmm. is a huge magnet for you know, people like that to come to. So uh, I was having a hard time finding work. And uh, so I was doing a lot of contract work and the contract work was uh, low paying immigration stuff. <laughs> right. Totally. So, so, um, so I was writing appeals briefs for, uh, for a bunch of different attorneys in town. And, um, and that interestingly uh, provided the foundation for me to be able to get hired into the job that I have now. And um, so so how did that happen? What's the jump? So you were, okay, so you're doing contract work. And then how, how do you make this transition into being an asylum so the, officer? Well, so the, con the, the contract work was in the subject matter of, of, a lot of it was asylum appeals. Some of it was other kinds of immigration appeals that um, people would get denied for whatever benefit. And then you write an appeal to whichever part of the government that you do. But I was working directly with asylum law. And um, so when when they were evaluating my resume about, you know, to score it, to see how how appropriate my background was for the job, I scored very, very high. On what did you, had you been continually applying? Is that why they're evaluating? Uh, it happened twice. Uh, so I applied twice. This is actually a lesson in bureaucracy. Yeah, it's teachers. Uh, so the first... I definitely want to so know. The, the first go... I hadn't applied to a lot of federal jobs. In fact, I applied to maybe a couple. Well, no, I don't think I applied to any federal jobs. I was applying to state and local job, local government jobs and firms and things like that. But I hadn't really applied to federal jobs. So uh, the first time I did it, uh, I read the instructions. And I'm good with instructions. I can see this is what you need to do. You have to do this and this and this and this. And um, the way I read it, uh, there were let's say four things that I had to do. Uh, I did thing number one, thing number two, and then I kind of conflated thing number three and no number four. And I didn't really understand how, how I did that. But when they rated my application, they knocked me down to like, at that point they used to score them literally. So, uh, so I got a 70 because I what are you supposed do to have? exactly like a 90 or a hundred or yeah, if you did, yeah, well, yeah, when I it's a, like a straight with a, like a ninety-five, yeah, yeah, okay, and um, and because <laughs> I because I unconflated person. those I think things. You're going to be the same person when you do the second second application. <laughs> exactly. So I unconflated them. I I separated them out nicely, and so the that they, they you could see you, them exactly. as two different things. Totally. And I got a nice score, and uh, and that led to that led to the job. That's interesting so, too, though, because um, this I think is important for people to hear. Uh, you know, when you're talking about like, well, you know, I'm in this now, I'm in this, because it kind of all this stuff catches up with you at some point, right? So yes, you can go to you know community college. Yes, you can get you know your scholarship. Yes, you can go to law school. But you know, okay, now it you know when the rubber meets the road, did you go to Yale? Did you go to Harvard? Did you go to Stanford? Did you go like no, I didn't go to those places. Okay, fine. So we're not going to take you. <laughs> like, you know, these, whatever, these, this 
particular venture capital or tech thing or whatever they, you know, whatever uh-huh. the, the club is, because it's really a lot of these are like clubs. So, right. um, so it, we're not going to take in that club, but then there's all this other work that's still coming at you and in ways that are like fulfilling for you. And then by doing that, which is so funny that that was like the genesis of it anyway, like a long time ago that by doing that, then here you are, you ending up in exactly what you said you were going to, you love to do what 10 years ago or eight years ago or however long this, you know, odyssey began. So I right. love that. I love it. There is one other tie in that's uh that's, you know, you were saying, you said something earlier about you never know who's going to be important to you. So when I was a bike messenger, uh, you know, it's, it's a pretty ragtag group. And, um, and uh, I, I, I love them. And uh, so one of the particular people uh, actually came from Phoenix, from Phoenix. He went to Camelback High School. And um, so his sister happened to be an immigration lawyer and she was the one that basically I ended up starting writing immigration appeals with. Got it. And, okay. um, perfect. So, so that was, and then she referred me to other friends of hers. And so that, that kept me basically busy all night long. The, well, who told you about the government job? Uh, I saw a listing. Okay. Yeah. All right. In yeah. your like, whatever local law thing. They... Well, by the, by this time, I think USA Jobs probably existed. I okay. mean, we're talking. This is. I, I ended up starting this job in 2000, so um, so the internet actually oh gosh, existed. Like we're done expert. with the books. Holy smokes! <laughs> wow. You know, well, it's also dating me. And I go, oh my gosh, you guys, how could you possibly have had like a professional job for that long? Well, guess what, Chris? Like we all have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. It just time flies. Um, okay, so so let me now understand. So I. I'm so appreciative of your story because it is, it just kind of, it weaves in so many aspects of human life and school life and kid life and, you know, loving school, hating school, like all that stuff that so many people go through. I don't think that most people like start out in, you know, kindergarten, love school, keep loving school, keep loving school, keep loving, you know, most people don't, that's not the way it goes, but we're meant, we're led to believe that that's, the way that other people live. And it's just not true. It's just like <laughs> so not true. And that you can end up being a lawyer as someone who didn't, you know, wasn't like awesome in high school, wasn't like killing it and excelling and like, oh, I'm, I know exactly what I'm going to do and I'm going to do it like this and I'm going to go to this law school and I, you know, exactly. no. And it's like, it's, I love how it's kind of unfolded in front of you. And then how you're saying also, you kind of, then you have to invent what are you, how are you going to make it in a way that is going to work for you, right? Because you probably actually wouldn't have been happy getting some of those, you know, tech lawyer jobs anyway. Like I said, there are certain clubs culturally where yeah. you find your fits also. And it's really important if you know, you knew yourself well enough to, to know like public policy and all this kind of stuff. And then you find it anyway, or it finds you or whatever. Like you almost can't right. get away from yourself in these, well, right. in these scenarios, right? There's, there's definitely, and there's, there's definitely a sort of knowing uh, knowing your limitations sort of thing in, in there too. You were just saying that I wouldn't have liked those, those jobs. I may not have even done very well at them, honestly, you That's know, a, really good a lot point. of, a lot of the time, a lot of, you know, sort of my strengths are thinking about sort of complicated fact scenarios with, with legal concepts and things like that. And I'm, I'm really not that great with organization. I have to, I struggle with it all the time. I basically, uh, I have 
very conscious systems to try to, you know, monitor the things that I have to keep organized and keep all the balls in the air. But, you know, it's such a chore. And, um, you know, so, you know, if I was having to, you know, be ultra organized for some, you know, (laughs) know, for like an extended period of time, right? Because I love this, what you're saying, because your, your work is very like short term project based. Right. Like, so here's my two cases. I got to get these done today. This is all I have to think about today. And when I'm done thinking about these, guess what? There's tomorrow. Then there's tomorrow. Now it's Tuesday. So now Tuesday, I've got these two cases. This is what I think about today. And I, you know, get these done. And I, what I would find so appealing about this kind of work for someone who, like, again, this is about people listening and identifying themselves. And uh, like some people might listen to this and be like, oh, no, this is like so far down the road for me. And other people are listening to this going, oh, wow, that's like project work. That's amazing. No homework. Like, listen up, people. Like, no homework. No, like, no, like, anxiety over the weekend. Only your own, like, emotional kind of experience if you had some particular case that, like, hit you in a certain way. But in terms of, like, right? Like, on the weekends, you're not sitting there, like, sweating, like, oh, shoot, I got to prepare this brief. I got to get this thing done. I got to be in court tomorrow. I got to, you know, get these interrogatories back. I've got this, you know, whatever, you know, like, meeting with the judge. That's (laughs) a very different way to be a lawyer. Yeah, mostly, mostly there are, well, there are cases that hang over um, (laughs) or could be a hangover. But is Uh, (laughs) is it stressful in that way, though? Or is it because I get that it can be emotional and you have people's like some in some ways, like people's life in the balance, which is, I mean, interesting and stressful at the same light. But do you view your job as stressful? Um, Let's see. So there's a lot in that. Uh, So this. So the in some cases, in all cases, somebody's life is in the balance. You know, their their request to be able to stay permanently in the United States is being considered, and it's it's a heavy decision in kind of every case. Okay. Um, beyond that, uh, some of the case, some of the times, you know, some people are saying, uh, you know, imagine the situations. Uh, my government's changed, so now. Uh, they don't like people like me, and so now I'm afraid to go home. So I've never been hurt before, but I'm afraid to go home for these reasons. And those are pretty um, – they may be complicated legally, but they're not complicated to interview because there's not a lot of you know, trauma to deal with or anything like that. But some of the cases, the trauma can be – outrageous and severe and like uh, like like rwanda kind of stuff oh yeah oh yeah yeah. um so give uh, us an example can you give us an example generally without saying the names like the names of the places but the the kinds of stuff that you might have you might be exposed to in this kind of work well i mean i've talked to people from around 100 countries in the time that i've done this uh some countries would be very surprising uh, I've talked to nationals of Sweden and Germany. Uh, I've talked to nationals of pretty much all the Yugoslav republics, all of the, every single republic in the former republic of the Soviet Union. Right. Um, that's probably not super surprising. Although some of them, some of them are, you know, would otherwise be seen. Uh, some of them are in NATO now. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, not at the time I think that it's I was surprising talking to that those they people, made it. That's how that's the surprise for that's me. That's true. That's true. How you, do you deal with that as a person though? Because right, so you're a trained lawyer, so you're trained in balance and seeing both mm-hmm. sides and all that kind of stuff. But in the right. same light, you know, someone's here with 
well, and you're trying to figure out, this is where I think this is so interesting to figure out, like, who are you now as a person? Like, how are you able to do this work? Because if that were, if I were in that position, I, I, honestly, I'd be like, okay, yes, you, you need to stay. Like, you can't, you can't go back there. I believe everybody. Like, I think you're telling me, you're telling me, you're telling the truth. Like, you're, the, you're telling the truth. And that has to be. Why would you, awful. why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you tell me the truth? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Of course you're telling me the truth. You know, this is yeah. like, this is what you had to do to get here. So they're, you know, People like me who should not have your job. And then there are people on the <laughs> other side who are like, no, I don't believe anything you're saying. And this is ridiculous. Yeah, and I think, I think you're, you know, totally suspect. So how do you, how, like, how did you learn to have that balance? Or were you always this, I mean, I think of you as kind of like a neutral ish person. I think of you as like, not someone who's going to, you know, raise cane on one side or like be pushed over on the other side, just kind of like, just, you know, in the place where you'd want to be in that nice balance. So how right. does that, how does that play out? Is that true about you? And how does that come into play in the work that you do? I would like to strive to say that that's true. Um, I, I think that, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I, I have uh, a particular strategy to dealing with all of this that is basically, I use the the fact that I'm a, a legal decision maker to try to insulate myself a little bit. You have that based on experience though too, right? Because you've seen, you've, I mean, countless, I, I mean, you could count, but like so many, right? Cases yeah. over these almost 20 years you've been doing this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it'll be 19 in yeah. a few weeks. Okay. So that <laughs> I, I could do the, the little back of the envelope math, but that's a lot yeah. of cases, right? So right. just in, in terms of doing that, your skills have probably developed even over that you know, over that time, I love your story because the way that you work is, look, I'm a lawyer. I got here by a very, um, unpredictable route. Let's say that unpredictable route and yes. I'm a lawyer and I have, you know, my JD, but guess what? I don't have, I, I, I'm not a practicing, whatever they call that, you know, member of the, um, of the bar. And, right. um, and I do all this lawyer work, but I, I do it because I'm trained in the law, not because I practice law per se, right. right? I know that you do it legally and like, you know, the way that you approach it is this legal approach, but you also kind of have, I think more of like a schematic, like you're saying. So like the way that you look at it is, okay, there's these certain, you know, elements that have to be met. And then it's just based on my experience of, you know, I've been here doing this a long time and I can kind of sense like what's going on because you have to have a way to be dealing with this, you know, that, I mean, if you're doing two cases a day, that's a lot of processing that has yes. to be done very quickly. Yes. Wait, are and, you just the person um, though? Let's, let's make sure because if people are going to get into this work, I want to know, are you just the person who doesn't take things personally or did you learn that people are well, going to lie to you flat out and you had to find a way to incorporate that? Probably somewhere in between. I, 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 you know, I, yeah, I'm always trying it, to figure it, it out does, in terms it does of very like, much how, so, yeah. like how crazy making is this in your head? Like as work, right, because here's the benefits. You're a federal employee. You have maybe a little baby pension, but you know something. You have you know federal employee benefits. You have federal employee hours. You have federal employee vacation. You have a non homework stress kind of a job. You know, it's not like you have to take a bunch of stuff home on Friday and like you know get it all done on Saturday and you can't go to your kids like baseball game or whatever. So that's sure. all good, right? That's all amazing. Mm -hmm. But then when you're sitting there and you have people, <laughs> the trade off is then you get to go, there's no team building here. This is me and you. Like this is, right. it's not like, hey, we're going to work together. We're going to 
figure out how to make this all great for everybody. You know, like that's that's my personality. I would I would like I'd you know get a train out there and be like, let's all like you know get on the same dream and figure out what neighborhood we can live in together and like we're right. all gonna be immigrants together. It's gonna be amazing. No, like so it's kind of like you, you and then someone on the other side. So uh, kind of who do you have to be to to be you know to take that in because I, I'm a thousand percent the wrong person for this job. <laughs> yeah, I, again, I think that it takes, I mean, you have to, well, let's put it this way. I, I also like playing poker. It's uh, Super you, important point. you anal- analyze the way that people are acting and, and, and you analyze information to try to figure out uh, what you should do with your hand. You have your information, you have the information that they're presenting you, whatever that might be. And uh, you do your best to figure out your plan of action. And essentially, that's, it's, very, it's very analogous to the way that you go forward with an interview is you, they give you information, you try to verify it, you try to figure out, you know, like, what does that mean in the case? And is it true or not? And so in the process of doing all of that, uh, you know, after a nice long conversation, uh, you come to a decision. <laughs> and, um, that's, but in the, it's, uh, it's super helpful, I think, and to even to think, cause I hate poker for exactly this reason. <laughs> and, and it, it, like, well, that and maybe gambling, but <laughs> like, right, no, exactly. But, uh, but, 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 and some people really are so are so good at that and are so comfortable really in that type of a setting, right? Where it's, mm-hmm. Oh, let's kind of just dance around each other and see, you know, who's going to bluff. And if I throw up this bluff, are you going to take it or are you going to, you know, fold or what's going to happen? So that right. I think is really, really helpful. That probably that analogy is probably the most telling about mm-hmm. this type of work to give people an idea for really what what this is legally, you know, the way that you exhibit it as a lawyer. Yeah, I think it's a I think it is a good analogy. Uh, I mean. And, you know, during the interview, you... Uh, How long are these interviews? Are these interviews like two hours, four hours, five hours? How long are we in here? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say mostly sometime around, sometime around two hours. They can go longer if there's complexities, but basically it's about two hours. And, that can be exhausting. Uh, I mean, yeah. and you're doing two of those a day? Yeah, imagine being the interpreter. <laughs> right. Let me just ask you, as we kind of close out, because what I love everything about your story, and especially kind of giving people an idea for how this, the genesis of this, how you can go from, you know, being lackadaisical in high school to becoming a lawyer, getting scholarships, you know, just figuring it out as you go, and then having this little seed, uh, which I think is really cool, and for people to really get, like, this, these answers are in you. You just have to let them out, like figure out a way to let these answers out. You know, you have this little business law course that kind of like lights a fire and then, you know, you go on and you never know when it's going to come to fruition, but at some point it does. So what is the best part of your work? What would you say is like the most gratifying, the thing that you love the most, the way that you, you know, it could be just the benefits of being a federal employee. It could be anything as simple as that, but what's the best part of your work? Oh, wow. Um, so, wow, where to start? Um, I mean, I would say that you don't stay in a job for 20 years if you don't like it. Um, there are definitely difficulties in the job. You know, the, the work level can be high. The, um, you know, those kinds of, like, the trauma can be weighing. The upsides, you know, there's a lot of them. 
the core of people that I work with are, uh, you know, on the, on the low end, they're amazing. And on the high end, it's, uh, you know, they've, they've all done amazing things and they're um, extremely motivated. That's cool. So are you talking of, about like your fellow, uh, yeah, my coworkers. like your fellow officers? Very cool. Yeah, they're, they're amazing people. And uh, they're, they're all, they're all, like I said, they're all very motivated. But that's also that also includes the back to this the service element. They all are doing the work because they believe that it's important work, and um, you know it's the kind of thing that uh, people people that are needy should probably be protected. And um, but at the same time, the people that are just trying to you know pretend to be the needy person should probably not be able to succeed and uh so within all of that uh the people that i work with are, are fantastic yeah which is so that, cool probably. because actually so it's i love that you're saying this too because i think maybe maybe a lot of people would say that like oh yeah i really like the people i work with but but I don't necessarily talk to people, a lot of people, <laughs> the people I work with <laughs> per se. But um, but I think what's what's awesome about it is that it's probably self-selecting in this environment because you are going to attract people. If you're this person, you're going to attract, you know, like-minded people, people who are service-oriented, who have a legal mind, who have a balanced mind, who have a judge's way of being, who have that poker face, like all that kind of stuff. And uh, your work is so specific that that probably the other people doing it are, you know, that you could find commonalities, right? And it's like such an intense type of work that they would, you know, you would be very bonded. I could t totally see that yeah. in this setting. The, uh, the other, there's one other uh, sort of background that, uh, that we didn't talk about that uh, some of the, some of the people that have done very well in our office are former Peace Corps people. Oh. And, um, so the Peace Corps is a big organization. So what type right. of work would they have done in the Peace Corps? Like actually the on the ground, you know, being sent to go build a well, for instance, or something like like that. Yeah, I think I think most I think most of the people that have come through our office have been teachers on some level. And uh, they when they were deployed to the various countries uh, were I think most of them were teachers. I'm not certain about that. But but yeah, I think that's. That's the that's the commonality behind. That's really interesting. Yeah, I wonder so, why that would be too. But I mean, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, and that's actually because that's okay. That gets at like the same level of person too. When you're talking about policy or changing the world similar, or being responsible yeah. for that kind of like, yeah, I mean, you do have a lot of say in how things go, but it's also a huge responsibility. It's kind of like Spider Man, right? Like with with great <laughs> right. with great power comes great responsibility. So if if you're surrounded by people like that, someone who goes into the Peace Corps probably takes that responsibility very seriously. And then sure. to, you know, come and turn it into the work life. That makes sense. I love mm -hmm. that. Actually, that's, that's really helpful. Jim King, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And, um, it just an inspiring story, incredible story, actually. Just I didn't even know this work existed. I mean, it, I, I do <laughs> on TV, like that there's someone sitting there. But in real life, someone who I know, who I sat next to in high school, who's actually doing this level of work. So thank you for doing it, because I think it's amazing and it's incredible. And it's it obviously helps so many people. But also your story is such a great one to bring to <laughs> light so that people can see. You know, there's like 
so many ways to do it and so many ways to think about it. And I love all your little caveats in there about, you know, yes, you can go to law school, have a plan before you go, you know, like, yes, you can go to university, but you could also go to, you know, JC first for a couple of years. It's all great. Mm-hmm. So thank you for being with us. And we really appreciate it. Sure. It's been, it's been enjoyable. It's been fun. So now I'm going to take you right into the fast track. And remember, Jim's story is so fantastic because he ends up being a lawyer as someone who really wasn't killing it in high school and wasn't engaged until really he went on to college and then found some things that worked for him. So we'll start there and get his take on having a different educational atmosphere and how that ends up becoming a career choice. You know, because I did mediocre work in high school, I didn't have a lot of options for college, and I knew I wanted to go to college. I didn't, uh, I didn't not have aspirations. I was thinking that there are ways of getting in, the, getting places in this world, and I need to have a degree. I didn't know what it was going to be in, but then I was, then I thought, hmm, this accounting thing might be fun. So I went to community college, and uh, while I was there. I started really enjoying the classes. I started really enjoying the the presence of uh, sort of diverse minds and backgrounds, and everybody actually did want to be there. They were all they all made the choice to take this step and go try to better themselves. And um, so it wasn't a matter of I have to be here anymore. It was like, how what am I going to get out of this? And and how can I how can I learn? And Right. So if you're listening to this and you're in high school or you're a parent and you have a a kid who's maybe struggling in high school and you're completely concerned, don't worry because there are so many great avenues and everyone finds themselves and you just got to keep on keeping on. That's really what this is all about. So what about high school? What's the use? The perennial high school question is, when am I ever going to use this? And of course, you know, with things like math and science, you know, I guess that depends on what you're going to be doing. But, you know, there's a lot of math in this world, so you might be doing that. Science might be a little less if you're not in a scientific sort of field. But um, and writing, you know, I, I would say that my I'd say at least half of my job is writing. So uh, when are you going to use it? It depends on your profession. But there's right. there's definitely a lot of writing in this world. <laughs> I think that's that's interesting just to think about. So, again, you know, Jim's a lawyer. He's really bright, really smart, but he didn't exhibit that early on in his educational life. So I, I want to highlight that on this fast track for all of you who are in school or struggling through whatever it is that you're going through. There are avenues to all of these professions. And whether you're going to come in as, you know, paralegal and stay at that level, or you're going to go and go to the lawyer level, and then you're going to go to the top lawyer level, these all these fields and these industries are stratified. So if you want to come in, you want to be a lawyer, and you want to be a litigator, and you want to go, you know, defend the US government, that's a certain type of lawyer. And that's a certain education. And that's a certain grade level and connections and law clerks and all that, you know, clerkships that you have to get. And then there's, you know, you go to a different law school and you get a different job. But all of these, all of these things are attainable and they're options. And I just want to just make sure that everyone always is considering that don't give up. So what about paralegal training? Is that an avenue for law school? Here's what Jim has to say, because he does have a paralegal certificate 
as well that he got while he was pursuing his education. Paralegals know a lot about how things work. Uh, they aren't necessarily the ones that frame arguments, but they're, defi- they're definitely the on-the-ground uh, doing the work sort of people in law offices. It was kind of like law school light on the subject yeah. matter, but also there was a lot of a lot of sort of organizational classes and uh, and writing classes because paralegals draft things too. And I think that's an important point too. I know we're talking about being an asylum officer. I'm just going to weave in a little bit of lawyer paralegal conversation here because always just remember that there's someone at the top of the paralegal chain and there's someone at the bottom of the lawyer chain. So the person at the pop top of the paralegal train probably knows as much or more than the person at the bottom of the lawyer train, right? So there's always this kind of um, intersection and you can be anywhere along the the line of a paralegal. You could be anywhere along the line of a lawyer. And then it just depends on what level of responsibility you want, what level of education you're willing to or can commit to, you know, financially and personally and all that. So paralegals can be more transactional. They obviously can't go to court and, you know, argue a case in front of a judge. That's, you know, that's the whole bar thing, being able to physically cross the bar. Can't do that. Um, But you can do so many things that lawyers can do aside from, you know, signing on the, the legal documents and things like that. So if you're a reasonable student and you manage to get into, you go to community college like Jim did, and then you move on to a four-year degree and finish, and then you're going to law school, what if you just kill it on the LSAT? How awesome would that be? And you know what that does for you? It gets you a scholarship. So from going from a mediocre student in high school, you know, you trudge through your community college, then you start, the lights are coming on because now stuff is interesting and you're realizing that there are different people in college than there are in high school. Always remember that too. And then you just really do well on these tests. It's a way to balance your deficiencies, if you will, in grades in college is to kill it on these tests. And that is exactly what Jim did. And guess what? He got a scholarship to attend law school. But there's a couple caveats. And this is this is an interesting point. I'm going to let you listen to what Jim talks about in terms of the scholarship, but also be listening for how law school, and this is true for graduate school in general, how graduate schools are structured relative to what you might have been doing in college. The competition just keeps getting steeper and steeper. So be careful with scholarships, though, in places like law school, because scholarships in undergrad, you know, your grades aren't, you know, there are classes that are curves, but I think that the curves are probably less, are probably more forgiving. And, uh, and you're also in, if you're in a class with a curve, you probably are in a large class. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's going to be a lot of A's, you know, you may have to fight to get it, but like, uh, uh, you're you're not going to die. You'll probably you can get a B. You know that B isn't going to tank your whole grade point average. With law school, uh, the classes weren't that huge, and in order to get an A, basically you had to be in my uh, in my circumstances, you had to be in the top probably three or four, maybe five people in the class. Out of how in many? every class, yeah, like out of how many? Like a hundred? Well, like thirty? Like- yeah, like probably. 40 or maybe 50. Um, So, and then beyond that, you were getting an A minus, which was okay. That was probably not going to kill your grade point average for scholarship purposes. But if you got a B, that was going to pull you down. And the scholar, the the grade point average that you needed to maintain was something like three, it might've been three, four, three, five, which means that you had to be in that top four or five in every other class, which is hard. 
Yeah, law school's hard anyway. So, and then if you have to maintain that that grade point average and you've got a scholarship on a, on the line, it's awesome that you had the scholarship. But uh, Jim ended up, you know, having to waive that scholarship a little bit later, and then had to, you know, go in financially into a different situation. So all these things are a part of the the conversation. Another thing about law school. I am under the impression that a lot of parents think that law school is amazing for you, (laughs) for you. Like, you should go to law school. Wouldn't you be great in law school? What about law school? And maybe that's just because I'm a social scientist, uh, educated person, and, you know, I'm, you know, smart in those ways. And so I've had a lot of that, like, go, go to law school, which is not, it's not a good fit for me. And I... I just want to talk to the people who are thinking about law school. It's an amazing education, an incredible degree. It's so many excellent things that you can do with that if you are that person. So listen to what Jim has to say. You know, Jim's a lawyer, and this is what he has to say about going to law school. So my thing about law school, and I think that uh, we've kind of alluded to it before, uh, you know, the whole thing about goals. Like if you're going to go, if you're going to do a, a thing like law school, um, you need to have an idea what you want to do with it when you're going in. Uh, you don't just go because it's like, dad told me to, yeah. or, or, you know, I don't really have any or other I don't, like, Yeah, I don't. That's really important. I think that's just something to evaluate when you're going, what's your goal? What's the point here? And not what am I going to do for the rest of my life? But what, what do I want to get out of these, these next three years here so that you can lay out your plan? Because then you're going to say, I want to work in, you know, some kind of a, a civil servant service area. That's different from saying, I want to go be a litigator on, you know, for one of these big Wall Street firms. Those are just very different trajectories. And what's required in each of those is very, very different. So it's I, I thought that was just great just to think about what is what is the point. So here is kind of a an additional on that. If you think about law school, and everyone thinks, oh, you just go to law school, and you know, you, you learn how to be a lawyer. There's so many electives that you can take in law in law school, so many different ways that you can finalize your law degree, you know, you can just take a, a myriad of things. And that's how different lawyers end up doing different I mean, lawyers who are trained in different ways end up doing different things because they take different electives, they take different paths, they take different internships. So here's Jim talking about that. So I ended up taking classes in labor law. I took classes in criminal uh, law. I took a sem- I took a seminar that I worked with for the Federal Public Defender's Office. I um, I did uh, I worked for I clerked for a uh, the teachers union. I did some immigration stuff. And so the immigration stuff was where the work kept coming. Right. And I think that's where you just don't know where things are going to lead and your natural tendencies will supply the work for you if you lead with your natural tendencies. And again, we've heard so many times on this podcast, play to your strengths, play to your strengths, play to your strengths. (laughs) I can't say it enough. Then you'll end up where you are meant to be. So Jim's going to give you an idea here about a general target lining up to a real bullseye public policy and human rights. And um, so that's pretty broad. For uh, sure. It allows allows some flexibility. You know, a basic, I mean, where I ended up is on that tar- is on the target, but uh, it's not anything that I would have predicted. So um, like, I didn't think about immigration law. I didn't think about uh, asylum. I didn't really, you know, that was not really anything that I had any knowledge about. I, it wasn't, 
but it, but you know, in reflecting, it was definitely in the zone that I was aiming towards. Right. That's very helpful. That's helpful for all of us, I think, just to think about that. You don't really understand why you're doing something, but it's it's for a reason. And in line with that, there are lots of jobs for lots of different types of lawyers and lots of different education backgrounds of lawyers. So listen to Jim talking about his experience getting uh, his first jobs out of law school. So after school, now we're talking about the dot-com boom here in San Francisco. And so the there were lots of law jobs but now we're back to the did you go to a prestigious law school back at from the east right. coast or stanford yeah. or berkeley and so i'm competing with people with degrees from those places basically and this mm-hmm. is a huge magnet for you know people like that to come to so uh, i was having a hard time finding work and uh, so i was doing a lot of contract work and the contract work was uh low paying immigration stuff <laughs> right totally so, so um so I was writing appeals briefs for uh for a bunch of different attorneys in town and um and that interestingly uh provided the foundation for me to be able to get hired into the job that I have now. So interesting. And then please go back and reflect on this full interview as we're talking about this. I think I remember the connection being he had either a law school, a friend from law school whose sister was an immigration lawyer, and then she had this work. So this is, again, these connections just keep lining up, and then you find yourself in these ways expressing yourself and being able to work. Also, please reflect on the full interview. There's a really interesting take that Jim has about if he would have even succeeded in those environments where he's talking about people coming from these prestigious law schools that are ex- exceedingly competitive. They're for like, you know, your top one to five percenters. I mean, it's, it's not for everybody. So and then if, if that's that's going on, and that's who's being selected, would you even would you even succeed in that environment? Would it even be happy for you? Would you even enjoy that? So that's the other thing to think about when you be careful what you what you wish for. So what about this asylum work and immigration law? And where does that where does that fit in? And what is immigration law? Listen to Jim talking about kind of the the, the little bit about asylum work and immigration law. In most cases, government work is does have a service element to it. Uh, and I, I feel like the job that I have has uh, a high degree of service element to it because, you know, I'm doing important human rights, public policy sorts of work along those lines. A lot of those jobs are along are in that forty thousand dollar if yeah. that category where they're NGOs and they're poorly funded. The practice of of asylum law, I think, is largely not. The it's not probably the lucrative end of the immigration you right. know process. The the more lucrative end would be H one B visas and permanent residence and citizenship that you can do kind of a lot of cases and charge each one kind of a pretty decent amount. This is an interesting point too. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this up because he talks about NGOs and you'll remember if you have a chance to listen to the full interview. If you haven't been with us the whole time, please go back and listen to that. NGOs, non-government organizations. So those are essential different foundations that might get involved. Say if there's, you know, a hurricane in Haiti or, you know, a human rights disaster in these different parts of Africa, these NGOs will be funded separately by foundations or people who have kind of a cause behind them to go in and do do this work. So yes, you'll have your UNICEF, you'll have your Salvation Army, you'll have your Red Cross, you have these other 
entities involved in this kind of work also. But these NGOs have a very specific pursuit often, and then they'll get involved in a specific policy, something that they are working on or they're interested in. And then a lot of very able-bodied service oriented people get involved to work for these NGOs. But listen to what he said, poorly funded, meaning if if you say you have a government grant to do any of this kind of work or you have, um, you know, that's that's a separate piece. And then you have, um, you know, someone funded, put, put a bunch of money behind a foundation to, to do this or a company put money behind a foundation to do this. And then something happens and then the company has to pull that funding. It, it's just a, it's a delicate balance here. And it's not it's not for people who require a lot of security. It's just not. It's not for people to say on the NGO side, typically, is not for people who they're kind of like, they're just really smart people. But they're just think of you have a service orientation, you you are your life is about bigger things. So you have um, kind of a higher, higher guiding light that you're that you're searching for. And a lot of times you could do that when you're younger, and you can do it anytime, but you can definitely do it when you're younger, you have, you know, don't have any res- real responsibilities to other people. So there's a lot of good opportunity, but just to kind of fill in the gaps there with where this fits. And then having a federal job, if you are a service-oriented person, having a federal job could be a a really nice way to have some security and also have that expression and be in a service-oriented industry, as Jim's talking about. So in his work, as we talked about, what's involved? What, What kind of background do you need to be an asylum officer? You don't have to be a lawyer to be an asylum officer. Uh, Many people that are asylum officers do have a legal background, and it does help for the obvious reasons of applying somewhat complicated law to somewhat complicated fact situations. Um, But there are definitely non-lawyers. When I started, there were quite a few people that had worked uh, helping process refugees overseas. this is like Vietnam and um, and other places, and uh, so they they had a they had a, a background that would allow them to understand the situations, and uh, they learned the law. And so you don't have to be a lawyer to do the job. Right, you don't have to be a lawyer to do the job, but you do have to get a job as a federal agent. So how do you get a job in the federal government? Please pay attention. The government, I think, I don't know, I've never applied for a job in the federal government. My understanding is that it's very specific and follow the directions. Take Jim's advice here. Listen to what he has to say about getting his first job. This is actually a lesson in bureaucracy. Yes, teach uh, us. So the first, I definitely want so to the, know. The first go, I hadn't applied to a lot of federal jobs. In fact, I applied to maybe a couple. Well, no, I don't think I applied to any federal jobs. I was applying to state and local jobs local government jobs and firms and things like that, but I hadn't really applied to federal jobs. So uh, the first time I did it, uh, I read the instructions and I'm good with instructions. I can see this is what you need to do. You have to do this and this and this and this. And um, the way I read it, uh, there were, let's say, four things that I had to do. Uh, I did thing number one, thing number two, and then I kind of conflated thing number three and number four. And I didn't really understand how how I did that, but when they rated my application, they knocked me down to like at that point they used to score them literally, so uh, so I got a seventy, 
because I what didn't are you supposed do to have? exactly like a ninety or a hundred or yeah, if you did yeah, well, yeah, when I it's yeah, like a straight hundred like a ninety five. Right. So when he went back, once he unconflated, I don't know, is that the word? When you take out, you know, and he didn't combine three and four, then he had a 95. And that's really where you need to be. So that's super helpful, I think. And also just having those connections, again, having, you know, if you have someone who can introduce you to the person at the federal government, that's helpful, even though it's you're still going to have to go through every little step. But follow the directions for sure. So what does Jim really do all day long? If you don't have to be a lawyer, then you're not going to a courtroom. You're not, you know, arguing a case in front of a judge. That's not part of what his, his job is. So what does he do all day? We interview applicants that are asking for asylum. We call them into the office. Uh, I would have basically two cases a day, uh, Monday through Thursday. And then I have, uh, other time, basically Friday and uh, the time in between to write those cases. Uh, each case basically includes uh, a brief that I would have to write about uh, why the person is either eligible or not eligible for the benefit that they're asking. And um, so, and then do all of the administrative uh, tasks that go along with that too. So, um, so it can be pretty hectic. Right. So in that, just to give you an idea of the, the level of the stuff that he gets involved with. So if you have people seek asylum for any number of reasons, and some of those might, you know, be political reasons, and they're under, you know, fear for their lives, they can't express themselves religiously, or etc. It's just a so many reasons that you'd be seeking asylum. And I'm just going to put a little, you know, for those of us who are born into the U.S. as, you know, lottery winners is what how I consider it. If you were born here, you really just have to get how incredible it is, the experience that you, the opportunity that you have for freedoms in this country. And yes, other countries have them. That's not to say that other countries do not have them. But what we have here is special and other people even from well-established, what you consider, you know, very developed countries, seek asylum in this country for specific reasons. So just remember <laughs> that as you're, you know, complaining about your taxes, which we all do, I do too, or, you know, getting upset about the, the ticket that you just got or whatever, there are a lot of freedoms that we enjoy here that are unparalleled around the world. So how do you get that done? Because when he's talking about two cases a day, so that's someone coming in, that could be someone pouring their heart and soul out to you about what their life has been like for the last 10 years, for the last 20 months in captivity, for the last, you know, 15 years of oppression with it's, it's like stuff that if you are not familiar with it, if you have not lived this, you don't know what this is. So doing two of these cases a day and listening to people talk about their life experiences and trying to explain to you what they have been under and why that they are seeking asylum and you know could be eligible for asylum in the U.S., doing two cases a day is a lot. I mean, you really have to be, I don't even know who you have to be, like a super person, because that 
is ability to, to empathize. Yes, you know, you have to just at least like, okay, I get it, you know, but you can't be an empath. <laughs> you can't, you can't be the person who's going to take that all in. You have to be able to listen objectively, which is where I think his law background comes in so nicely in this way, if you're trained in that way to look at facts and kind of line things up. So tactically, how do you get that done every day? And, you know, do you stay all night? Do you just keep working forever? You write up your briefs, you know, at midnight at the burning the midnight oil. Listen to what Jim has to say about getting this work done. Overtime isn't really an option. So you have to be very efficient with your time and, uh, you know, figure out where you're going to make up for lost time because an applicant isn't cooperative for, you know, answers questions in a roundabout way and burns up a bunch of time. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a huge job. When I just when I think about what he talks about and the way that he talks about his work, he's so nonchalant, just like, well, you know, this is how it goes. And I think he's been doing this for almost 20 years. So I think he's so seasoned that he doesn't realize how miraculous this really is for those of us who are looking in as voyeurs to see this type of work and just be in awe, really, that someone could could do this. And it's service. You, you're doing this for other people. Yes, there are people who are going to come in that aren't eligible or are lying and all that. But there are also people who really are in need of this support and this aid in life. And the idea that the U.S. government would at all even be interested in helping them is, I think, impressive to me. And then that we have people who will help these help them, you know, get them in line to be able to to get this asylum that they're seeking if they're eligible. So what about your how do you get it? How do you even get a job review? Like what what happens and how does that impact your work in the federal government? You get rated for your work, just like ah. kind of all federal employees. And if you're not keeping up, then uh, then that can cause you uh, employment difficulties. I mean, can you imagine? So, so here you are, you're doing all this, the Lord's work, if you will, you know, just like really working so hard. And then you get rated and then they say, well, you know, you could have shortened up this time or maybe this, you know, interview took too long. Why were you in there for three hours? We think you could have been four hours. I mean, we think you could have been two hours. I don't know what they say. I'm just imagining, you know, like a really oppressive boss coming in and saying like, because bosses have their own work to do and they're, you know, they have to keep their budgets in line, et cetera, et cetera. So just so you know, but the cool thing about this on the flip side is since overtime, quote unquote, isn't really an option, that means it's kind of project based. So you show up, you have your cases, you do your work, you do the best work you can, you work while you're working, you go home and maybe you'll take it with you a little, but you don't have homework. You know, you're not sitting there saying like, oh, shoot, I've got to get this presentation done for the boss. You're not like working on an all night advertising campaign, you know, for weeks on end to get it to your client. This is very project based work. And then Friday's his admin day where he basically will, you know, write up these briefs and uh, the reports that he has for the for the week, make sure that's all cleaned up so he can start the the week over again. So it's work for a very particular kind of person. I think you'd have to be very organized. And like he said earlier, it's very good at instructions, like understands how to kind of take things from A to B to C quickly enough to continue to do this work for, in his case, years on end. But even if you did it for a year or two or five, I mean, it's, you have to, you have to understand how to do, how to do this kind of work. And you have to be this person. If you are that person, then what kinds of things are you doing all day long? Who are you talking to? What is this conversation even like in these interviews? Here's Jim giving you an idea about that. I mean, I've talked to people from around 100 countries in the time that I've done this. 
some countries would be very surprising. Uh, I've talked to nationals of Sweden and Germany. Uh, I've talked to nationals of pretty much all the Yugoslav republics, all of the every single republic in the former republic of the Soviet Union. Right. Um, that's probably not super surprising. Although some of them, some of them are, you know, would otherwise be seen. And some of them are in NATO now. <laughs> that's crazy, right? I mean, you, you, we just think. I, I told Jim as we were talking about. I think of. Remember, they uh, several years ago they had immigrants coming on the shores of Miami from Cuba. They, you know, would come off in boats and then swim onto the shore so they could make it onto U.S. soil. And then there were news crews there covering it. It was like all this big thing. I think of that, but we're talking like just people, just like you know, people like in all different kinds of lives that they're living and you just don't know what people are going through until you get into these conversations. So I, I think it would just be fascinating to be a fly on the wall in these conversations. However, the other side of this is people, you're going to have unscrupulous people and you're going to have, you know, nice, you know, decent people. And then you're going to have people who are, you know, this is a big deal to get asylum. So people have a lot at stake and they might be encouraged. I don't know. I don't, I've never met one of those two people. I don't know what they would say, but listen to who Jim says he has to be, kind of how he identifies himself as being what it is to make you good at this kind of work. Let's put it this way. I I also like playing poker. It's uh, super you, important point. You anal analyze the way that people are acting and 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 you analyze information to try to figure out. Uh, what you should do with your hand. You have your information, you have the information that they're presenting you, whatever that might be, and uh, you do your best to figure out your plan of action. And essentially, that's it's very, it's very analogous to the way that you go forward with an interview. That's kind of neat because that's, that's when you think about who, who does well in different jobs. And if you're a poker player and you love poker and you play with, you know, you have a, a group that you play poker with, would, you, would it ever occur to you to say, you know what, I would be an amazing asylum officer? But it, it should. And now it can because now you have the information. You could, if you're service oriented, you have all the other lines, you know, all the other dots lined up. This could be work that could really work for you. It could be very interesting and cool and you could be really good at it, which is really the point. So how do you handle the job? How do you handle people lying to you constantly? If someone comes in and, and I figure out that they're telling, that they're not telling me the truth, I'm not really carrying that around with me. You know, yeah. I, I think, I think if you are, you're going to have a hard time doing the job because people are going to not tell you the truth. And if you get upset about that, then, uh, then, you know, find another job because like, that's <laughs> just going to be the way it is. Just going to be the way it is. I thought that it's, it's helpful. It's helpful. So you just know if you're that person, but that the poker analogy is really key here in terms of this kind of work. If you're that person who can just look at it blankly almost as a, as you know, not don't get involved the way I do. It's like, oh, this conversation and what happened to you and what's going on and tell them you're no, it's just like, okay, let's have a conversation. Let me figure out, you know, if you, if you are who you say you are, and this is working the way that you're saying it's working, and I have my evidence on my side, and I have ways to verify what you're saying, and you know, that kind of stuff. So very interesting. So what is the best part of the job for Jim? Now, I would think if I asked him the best part of the job, he'd say, Oh, all these, all these stories I get to hear all this amazing, you know, like experience that people have, like the way that they overcome situations in their lives. But 
he also talks about the people he works with, which I thought is really surprising because when you think about this, I think this is more solitary work. It's you in an interview with someone else. And he also talked about all the interpreters involved in this work. That's a whole sideline conversation. But consider this if you're an interpreter, this is an area where you could be very, very effective, very effective, because a lot of times it's technical, it's, you know, specific law conversations or, you know, and things have to be explained exactly as they are. They can't be, you know, oh, kind of something paraphrased like this. So that that's another whole aspect. But when he talks about the best part of the job, listen to what he has to say about that. Some of the people that have done very well in our office are former Peace Corps people. They're amazing people. And uh, they're, they're all, they're all, like I said, they're all very motivated. But that's also that also includes the back to this the service element. They all are doing the work because they believe that it's important work. Okay, so there you have it on your fast track. Just to recap, you have the the service oriented. You can be a lawyer. You can not be a lawyer to do this asylum work. You could have come from the Peace Corps or other areas where you would have been exposed to the legal aspects of it as well. And then just a reminder, you don't have to be killing it in school from the time you're five to become a lawyer. You don't have to be killing it in school from the time you're in high school to go to grad school. Any of these things, they're all attainable. It's just a matter of where you want to be on the stratification. And it's all completely up to you. And there are always options don't give up on those. So again, this is Chris Calvert from Career Goals. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Taking care of